Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. There were snacks. I had some sandwiches. You know, I had uh, had a sandwich and I had a bag of potato chips. Oh, so you didn't bring a crust of bread. I didn't bring a crust of bread, no. But I was disturbed when I got home to find out that which I was going to have for dinner Saturday night had been thrown out. I'm just looking out for you. Yeah, something you had cooked and you felt that I Something that I'd cooked two weeks ago and I came over in your absence and said to mom, make sure to throw this out because he's going to come back and and want this. I wanted to eat that. It was half the steak. (laughs) This is General George Washington and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. All righty then, Michael is here, six feet one inches away, socially distanced, if we still do that at Uncle Benny's table. Um, I watched the Nats last night to the great frustration of my life. Uh, Max Scherzer had a fine performance. I think he went seven innings. He gave up two runs. He he nibbled. You know, I don't really understand it. He gets to 0-2 or 1-2, and and then it always goes to 3-2. and He's a strikeout pitcher. Yeah, and that's, you know, he had nine strikeouts last night. Not as many as Clayton Kershaw had last night, I think. Um more Clayton, than more than Syndergaard. Yes, yeah, Syndergaard pitched to one batter in a minor league trial. Um, Kershaw had another great night. So, and Scherzer had a great night. And Degrom, who is the best pitcher in baseball right now, Degrom had another great night. And the difference between uh, Scherzer and Kershaw and Degrom is that Scherzer was the only one who lost. And they tell you on the broadcast what a great hitting team the Nats are and how high their batting average is. They lost to Cincinnati, which is not a good team. Not a good team. And, and they may have, they have a weirdly inflated batting average because when they score runs, they score 12, 13, 15, 17 runs. But then they go long stretches without scoring any runs. They didn't have any runs last night while, Kurt, while Scherzer was in the game. They didn't have any runs. They hardly got anybody on. When they got them on, they don't move them along. I would, I would bet you that, that if there was some sort of analysis of runners left on base relative to batting average – that the Nats would have among the worst ratio of that in, in all of baseball, wouldn't you think? Uh, yes. Disappointing hitting situations would be sort of that acronym that you're looking for here. This is also against Cincinnati, who almost is like the doppelganger of the Nats in that they are at the bottom of their division. And they own one of the worst ERAs in baseball. And you're not you're letting somebody who had a short outing last time he was out was on two look like he was a look like he was a young candidate. Yeah, it was just awful was just awful, so that annoyed me. So I'm going to get off that, and I'm going to get to something, my, my cicada review. Um, if you are in the Washington metropolitan area now and you open up a window or you go outside your door, you hear the din of cicadas. You hear the constant noise. You're struck by it shortly, and then you adapt to it and you learn to live with it. It will get louder and louder and louder it, it in the next It gets louder and closer to your living quarters. It's now, in, the noise yes. is inside our bedroom. Yes. I mean, so you do all that. And, and this is what I wonder about. I was talking with my friend Daryl Clark about this last night. Daryl grew up in Massachusetts and I grew up in New York. Daryl doesn't remember cicadas uh, in Massachusetts. I don't remember cicadas in New York. There were, over the weekend, last weekend, no cicadas in Delaware. But, but Daryl sent me a clip of Tiger winning the Jack Nicklaus tournament, the Memorial Tournament, in 2004. And you can hear cicadas. Interesting. You can, in Ohio, you can hear cicadas. I'd like to know how far. That's north and west of Washington. 
And again, I don't know how far north they go, like directly up I-95, because I don't remember them as a kid, but maybe they were there and I just don't remember them. And I don't know how far south they go. I don't know, do they stay in northern Virginia? Do they go from Virginia to North Carolina, from North Carolina to South Carolina? I'd like to know this. They'll be most numerous and emerge nearly statewide in Indiana and Maryland. I think so. I Indiana think we were, statewide I think we were, in Maryland. I think statewide. we were in this sort of sweet spot. Yeah, statewide in Maryland, yeah. but not well, not down, not down at Ocean City because you have Probably to cross not the down bay. Ocean City. You have to cross the bay for that. The southeast corner of Pennsylvania, almost all of Maryland, parts of Delaware and New Jersey. So I guess they have figured out to cross water. Well, they weren't few in few areas Hobart. in New York. Few, yeah. yeah. Not, not the good parts. Right. Ohio and almost the entire state of Indiana. Yeah. A few areas in eastern Illinois and northwest and eastern parts of Kentucky. So these are the same cicadas, the same breed of cicadas, the 17-year cicada. Is that what they are? Yeah, the brood X. Oh, western North Carolina, east Tennessee, and a scattering around west Tennessee and the northern part of Georgia. It's amazing. So it would seem, are they... Are I they, guess that's a generation that got away. Are they aggressively moving further and further out? Yeah, like what's the end goal for the cicadas? Yeah, do they want Hawaii? <laughs> are they saying Hawaii or bust? I mean, you know, how are they going to get there? Do they travel... Like if you, if you take a soil sample and you put it in your suitcase and you get on a plane and you go to Hawaii and you drop it in Hawaii, is that the beginning of cicadas in Hawaii? I don't... I don't know. They seem indestructible. I mean, they're not individually, obviously, because Bootsy and the Hammer are smashing them. Again, I wish I could share with you the joy that the Hammer has every day when we walk out from the basement. He goes, Cicada, again, yeah. another, yeah. another. Yeah. So, but they are a clearly, as a species, indestructible. Indestructible. So it's this amazing. is, we now, because we have this uh, cutout driveway, which is where they like to hang out, they, they are everywhere, and they go into the toys that the boys have. So my job is I am leaf blower man where I run ahead of the boys, right. and I get the leaf blower out. This is a battery-powered leaf, leaf blower, but powerful. Not like chatter powerful, but, right. but it, you'd think enough to displace cicadas. Oh, no. When they are right side up, feet on the ground, they open up their wings, and they flex against you, and they refuse to budge. So they have right? to start kicking them. Now, half of them are on their backs, almost like they are turtles on the half shell just wiggling around you can get those out pretty easily yeah i don't do that i mean i don't touch them i when when they leave their husks on the fence here mm -hmm. i brush the husks off i am nervous about the dog eating them because dogs eat these mm. birds eat these and dogs eat oh yeah these. dehydrated you know is that what would happen? Well, you could deep dehydrate them, then maybe pan fry them with a little butter. I have garlic. seen, yes, I've seen that people are, are putting them in recipes. I will not be doing that. Um, I think well, there goes dinner tonight. They're insects, <laughs> and I'm not, you know. They're, a good source of protein. For yeah. somebody of your weight and size, you should be bulking up on these. Yeah, but I could also eat meat or salmon, you know, meat or fish or eggs, and I could get protein, and I wouldn't have to. Would you pick up a live one? Yes, certainly. So when I've they, been, when I've they been flap, picking them up. When I've been they picking flap, them up by fun. the wing. Yeah. And you think they would just sort of limp away. No, they fly in mid-flight. They just open their wings and take off. Yeah. And they come back. But they're not, they're not here for the long term. You know, it's only going to be a few more weeks. I mean, you're going to have to... It's crazy. Now, is there anything with the weather that could speed up the process? The same way that heat. the cold delayed their heat. arrival? Heat. Some, some heat wave, I assume. But I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Which leads me to the other thing that I wanted to talk about, about not being a scientist. I probably mentioned this the other day that um, I went to... 
uh, Mark Tui was so nice to take me to the baseball game over the weekend, and I was able to sit and have a conversation with Wayne Turnage. And Wayne is um, Muriel Bowser's chief administrator for public health. And we were, we were talking about the vaccine. And, I, you know, I, I expressed the sort of continual nervousness that I have about whether the vaccine will work and do I need to wear how masks? Long, yeah, how long? Shots. Yeah, all of that. And we were talking about that. And he said, look, the vaccine works. All of our stuff indicates the vaccine works. It wasn't that he said, don't be afraid, but he said, you, you don't have to be as cautious. I was really being cautious. And he said, the vaccine works. That's why you got the vaccine. Yesterday, I played golf and I was having the same conversation with Steve Hintish here about the vaccine. And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? You're vaccinated. What are you talking about? And it got me to thinking that what I do for a living is I sit in front of a microphone and I yammer. You know, some people find it attractive, but it has no consequence in the real world. It, it, it doesn't make anybody better. It doesn't make anybody smarter. It's just this thing that I do. And I'm very grateful that it pays, you know, because anybody could do it. The people who made these vaccines, not just in America, but all over the world, the people who made these vaccines, particularly, I would say, the people at Pfizer and Moderna, where they, they're having a rate of success 95% or higher. I mean, I mean, they did this in an hour. I mean, these, these people, they have worth in the country, in the world. And they're able to maintain just, their standards while doing it so quickly. Just, it's just amazing. It ama it's amazing that they were given the task to find a vaccine and basically not rest until they did. And they did it. And these are scientists. These, these aren't yodelers like me. Not, I don't want to denigrate any other professions. But what these people have done around the world, what they've done is save the planet, right? I'm not, over, I'm not overstretching that. They've saved the planet. No, I don't think we can recognize it enough. And then you start to think, what are the lessons that you, lear that you have learned, th th this group of scientists, through these partnerships and through the way they are able to work around what you think would be barriers to discovery? And how is that going to lead to more discoveries in science to these unknown problems or unknown diseases that we some are known now and some are yet to come? It's absolutely amazing that what, what science can do... Um, you know, it's, science is the thing that builds bridges. Science is the thing that builds buildings. I sit in front of a microphone and just yammer like a dope. <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's amazing to me how worthless what I do you is. Can't. And I know people say it and, and they're comforted by it. And I'm grateful for that. But I haven't really advanced the world. <laughs> I haven't. And the scientists no, too. No, you can't even connect our Comrex unit to the internet. I can't do that. I, we won't go into this, but... We had a lot of difficulty today for about a half hour to an hour in putting the show together. No coffee creamer was thrown. Right. And I didn't know. I made I, I mean I can't I can't put gas in the car. I don't know how to use a credit card at a gas station. It's too complicated for me. Science. It's great. We'll take a break. Uh when we come back, Steve Sands will join us. Yes? Is that the right order, Steve Sands? That is correct. Yes. Fantastic. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the new Hera ad. I went on my phone the other day. Yeah, you my, saw it. I'm connected. Yeah, you've my been connected. E my earbuds are connected. Yeah, right I, here. I want to put them in my ears, and I want to walk around and hear things. 
because that's the way I've that's the way I've heard things for the last. Imagine the sound twenty years. Like the cicadas. Yes, I think it would sound great. I I just think I think that you could find me in the backyard, sort of sitting down and laughing as I have the new Hera earbuds in, and I can hear everything. Because that's the way I hear. Right. This now is I like have the earbuds first time, in for, for the podcast and like earbuds in for the first time I put contacts in, and all of a sudden you go, it's, everything's in HD. This will be your soundscape. Yeah, so that's, that's very exciting for me. And, and now that I went on my phone, I don't even know why I was on my phone, but I saw the- Well, why were you in Bluetooth settings? I'm, I'm connected. Yes. So why, do, why Again, am I not using you them? You have been connected. Why am I not using You've been them? been connected, and they are charged. Here is the, here's the sort of- question for the day how stupid am i i've got these i know how i think i I don't know how to use them but i know i can use them i it, it's it, it'll make tuning into the show better these are the new hera iq buds 2 max the next generation of hearable technology that gives you the power to control and alter as michael says your soundscape it's you know you don't it's not even oh have you lost your hearing no this will make your hearing better if your hearing is perfect, it'll be pluperfect. It'll just be better. Don't be a dope. These will make it better. You're going to be blown away with the IQ Buds 2 Max. It's no wonder they were selected at one of Time's Best Inventions in 2020. Experience the world's most advanced hearing bud for yourself. Go to newhera.com to order today. Let me spell newhera for you. N-U, new, here, H-E-A-R, uh, a new hera new hera n u h e a r a dot com one more time new dot com to experience the magic of iq buds to max you're listening to the tony kornheiser show your palm trees your caffeine this is a young woman named zoe alex this is written by Andy from Mountain Home, Arkansas, and says, This is original music from my wife's cousin, Zoe Alex. I imagine that TK hates all things glitter, but hopefully he doesn't <laughs> mind the less messy version of this song. I met Zoe six years ago when she was a talented high school senior. Now she's a wonderful singer-songwriter who makes a living in Los Angeles by way of the Berklee College of Music in Boston. Very highly rated. Our family's very proud of her. I hope you guys enjoy this original song as much as we do. It is called Glitter. The talent level here, as we say all the time, is remarkable. And she plays in Steve Sands. And I want to start large. I, I just think that the Phil Mickelson winning the PGA in the way that he won it at the age that he won it, um, giving him his sixth major, which separates each additional major you get, separates you more and more from everybody else. So we'll start large. He was ranked about 115th or so going into this. Um, I know he's Phil Mickelson. But how much of a stunner, you're in the golf business, how much of a stunner was it that he actually won this major? I got asked on Sunday morning, Tony, what would be more surprising? Dial back the clock 30 years to Crooked Stick in 91, mm-hmm. compare John Daly winning as a seventh alternate that week outside of Indianapolis, coming out of nowhere, to if Phil could finish the 18 holes later that day and win at almost 51 years of age. And I, I was a little bit, you know, shaken by it, thinking which one would be bigger. And the Phil one was bigger, and it was also more surprising. To, to win a major championship on that golf course against that field at that stage of your career, Tony, is one of the most remarkable things we've seen in our lifetime 
in the sport of golf. I would have said, had Tom Watson at 59 won the British Open, that that would be the number one thing in the history of the sport. But he didn't win. He overcooked an eight iron late late in the round. This is a pretty big deal. And you got the full fill, Steve. You got lots of bogeys. You got bad putts. You got lots of birdies. You got fantastic chips. He went in the water Saturday and Sunday, and he still won this thing, right? Isn't that that's what Phil Mickelson does? That's what he does. It's Phil the thrill, man. You never know what's going to go on. You know, he's got that one-shot lead. Bogey's the first, a bad bogey at the first. Oh. Kepka with a birdie. All of a sudden, Phil's behind, and then Kepka has a double, and Phil with a beautiful birdie, and all of a sudden, he's up by two, and it just went back and forth seesawing. And, and I was thinking about the Tom Watson um, episode on that Sunday at Turnberry in 2009 in Scotland. I was there with Frank Nabilos, a good friend of mine who now calls golf on CBS. He had 11 and 16, uh, two holes on the back nine on Sunday. And he and I were texting back and forth during the telecast. And he was saying, you know, what do you think? What would you say here? That kind of stuff. I said, you've got to put it in his proper context as to what we saw together standing right there trying to see a 59-year-old legend in Tom Watson win another open championship phil mickelson same type of energy tony crowd wanting it to happen yes energy was high but the the nervousness was also palpable as well because they wanted it so badly kind of a people's champion very popular legendary star in the game i know that you know you're talking about a nine-year difference between an almost 51 year old and an already 59-year-old back in 2009 at Turnberry. But those two days were analogous, no question about it. Tom did not finish it off. Stewart Sink won the Claret right. Jug that day. Phil Mickelson did win, and kudos to him for getting to the finish line. However he got there, he got there, Tony, and he was the best of the best. I will tell you that after number one, I said we are headed to Greg Norman land. I just thought yep. that Phil was going to shoot like 77 or 78 and the other thing I would say is that it was surprising to me. Nobody really reached up at him. Nobody really pressured him. Louis didn't. Um, Kepka didn't. You know, you, you have Kepka playing with you, so you, you have a great sense of what he's doing and what he's not doing. It looked like Phil had the sense, I, I can win this thing if I just don't blow up because nobody's going to go minus three or minus four, right? Did you sense that? Yes, absolutely. It's funny you say that about the first hole. When he bogeyed, I got a text from a buddy of mine who said, closer to 70 or closer to 80 for Phil today? <laughs> I thought, right. oh, man, come on. It's only one hole. Let's, let's kind of let it marinate a little bit before we bury the guy. Um, but it didn't look good after that first hole um, when he made that bogey. I, I, I think that it, it, it's remarkable to me how sports work. Sometimes, especially in golf, sometimes you're, you're given one and sometimes you go out and earn one. You know, Ernie Els had all those heartbreaks for years. And then Adam Scott at Royal Living in St. Anne's, uh, I mean, he won three major championships in the Hall of Fame, but he had a lot of heartbreak in major championships, most notably at the Masters with Phil Mickelson winning his first in 2004, preventing Ernie from slipping mm -hmm. on the green jacket. At Royal Lytham in St. Anne's in 2012, Adam Scott had a four-shot lead with four holes to play. Ernie Els was way ahead of him, finished with a birdie at the last, and then Adam Scott inexplicably 
went bogey, 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 bogey. So they kind of, the golf gods kind of gave one to a legendary, you know, veteran like Ernie Els to get him four major championships. Phil earned this one. He wasn't given it. But boy, was it reminiscent of Tiger's Masters victory in 2019. Phil made all the shots. He played the best, and he earned it. But everybody else backed away. Remember that day when everybody was hitting it in the yes. water on 12, yes. and everybody couldn't hit their spot at the par 316th? Tiger went out and earned it, and he won. There's no question about it. But what happened on Sunday was the same exact thing with Phil. Kepka couldn't keep it together. Ustazen couldn't keep it together. Kevin Streelman didn't make a run. Hideki Matsuyama backed away. Everybody kind of backed away and kind of bowed to the legend of Phil Mickelson, and he earned his sixth major championship. It was a remarkable day on both ends of the spectrum there. I'm glad you mentioned the Tiger um, at the Masters in 2019, because to me, if you review if you review the 21st century and the first 21 years of the 21st century, you could make the case that those two things stand out above everything else. I mean, Tiger's got a whole bunch of things you can point to, but if you had to pick the one that had the most emotional um, resonance, I think it would be 2019. And if you picked one by Phil, it's obviously this one. And they are the dominant, no matter how many majors that Rory and Kepka and Spieth have won already, Phil and Tiger own the century, right? They own it. There's no question. The, the Tiger's the best player of his generation by far. Yeah. Yes. And Phil is the second best player of his generation by far. And without Tiger, who knows how many uh, major championships and PGA Tour events Phil would have won. He's won 45 times now. That ties him for, with Walter Hagen who I know the audience probably doesn't even know who Walter Hagen is, but they hey, could play, man. I mean, he could play big time. He's one of the all-time, all-time greats uh, in the sport. He matches him with 45, and the six majors, Tony, puts him in a category with Lee Trevino and Nick Faldo. And Trevino, like Phil, won three of the four majors, and Faldo only won two of the four majors. So he has surpassed Nick Faldo. I think he's now surpassed Lee Trevino. And then, you know, the historical significance of the victory, I think that puts Phil at probably the 10th or 11th greatest player in the history of the sport. It was, honestly, it, you know, we, we saw 2019 with Tiger and, and what that did with him. 86 uh, at the Masters with Jack Nicklaus is still number one in our lifetime, and on my list, Tiger's 2019 Masters would be number two as far as golf moments, and then this one would be the third. Uh, I would have put Tom Watson right there with you uh, as the greatest achievement yeah. in the history of the sport if he would have won, but he didn't. But what Phil did, I, I just don't think people have an understanding. Tom Brady, not that people don't understand. I shouldn't say that. that that's, that's downplaying the, the audience. What I'm saying is I don't think people quite can wrap their arms around just how incredible it is for someone that age to win a major championship against that field. 99 of the best 100 players in the world were playing that week. It's a golf course that should not have matched Phil Mickelson's skill set, and he's at an age where he should not even be competing against those guys. And he went out and won, and, and won it rather convincingly. I, I was 
I was amazed at what happened. Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl uh, in his early 40s, uh, nothing is going to match that because football is always king. But man, oh man, did Phil Mickelson come close to doing what Brady did earlier this year. Those are the two biggest accomplishments in in athletics, in my opinion, in the United States in 2021 by far. So, and and the American public responded at 7 o'clock when Phil is about to wrap the whole thing up. 13 million people are watching. That's the high point in the the ratings. And and if you don't think that's a lot, uh, the other, the baseball and basketball would die to have that, die to have 13 million. This is golf. This is not. This is a niche sport, and in 13 million people, because Phil brought he brought them to the set. He said afterwards, Steve, I watched this. He said, "I may never win another tournament." And then he smiled and he yep. said, "And I may win a tournament here or there." Which brings <laughs> yes. us to Tory Pines, where he grew up, where he grew up, that he needed as of last week an exemption to get in, and now he's in for the next five years. I don't think he can win it, but you you know better than I. Could he win it? Yeah, I don't think he can win it either. I'm with you. But, yeah, why not? It's Phil Mickelson. You know, remember the old commercial, What Will Phil Do Next? Yes. You know, you you never know. Here's the thing with Phil. Phil is one of those guys in his career when he has won. Now, it's totally different now. But when he has won, he does go on hot streaks. He gets on these runs. He's won three times at Torrey Pines. He's born and raised in San Diego. Torrey Pines, a legendary golf course in Southern California. He won those three, however, before it was redesigned, before the, the changes to the golf course. He has not been copacetic with that golf course uh, right. in the last decade or so. However, he's going to play this week at Colonial. He's going to go home, back to Rancho Santa Fe, which is just outside of San Diego, and he's going to go play Torrey Pines, and he's going to play it so much and learn a lot about it, and he's going to go about his business a little bit differently at Torrey Pines next month. He's going to be 51, by the way, on Wednesday, June 16th, on Wednesday of that week. So he'll be 51 years of age on Thursday when he tees it up as a major champion from the PGA and trying to win the U.S. Open to win the career grand slam. But he's going to go and try to implement a game plan that he has never implemented there before. He's always tried to play Torrey Pines the old way, just bombing it, gouging it, trying to you know hit it as far as you can. He didn't do that this past week at the Ocean Course, and I think he knows now that that's the way to play at this stage of his career and at his age against these guys. Be smarter. Don't be as aggressive as you used to be, more Phil-like, if you will. So I think that, sure, he's got a chance. I, I, I cannot imagine him winning the U.S. Open, but man, oh man, if he wins the U.S. Open back-to-back majors at 50 and 51, a career grand slam, can you imagine? I can tell you one person who's very happy, Brian Roberts, my employer at NBC and Golf Channel. We have the U.S. Open. There's a lot of momentum uh, in golf right now, and it's because of Phil Mickelson. So good for him. By the way, those numbers you talked about, you're going Mm -hmm. up against the NBA playoffs first weekend. The Stanley Cup playoffs, all the regional baseball games going on yeah. on a Sunday afternoon. That's yeah, a fraction sports audience. That's a lot yeah. of people to watch a golf tournament. Thirteen million people by you know by the by the peak number. Steve, thank you, thank you, thank tiger. you. We'll that's talk not, soon. It's not Tiger. No, it's not Tiger. No, either, but it's next. It's still, that's, yeah, no, Phil. It's that's thirteen yes. million people without Tiger. Without Tiger. Without Tiger. That's Sainsbury. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Talk soon. You got it, guys. Take care. Steve Sands, boys and girls, makes me very happy. We'll take a break. When we come back, Doris Burke will join us. 
talk about the NBA a little bit. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Fitbot ad, and I would talk about this, except that, you know, it's better if Nigel talks about it, because, Nigel, you actually used Fitbot. Why don't you tell people about it? Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Thank you, Tony. Um, you know, this last year, it's been very difficult, if not impossible, to get into the gym, and you don't want to gain a lot of weight as you're eating stuff through the through the lockdown. And you Fitbot don't want to lose like, 30 either, which is what <laughs> no, I you do. Don't, you don't want to do <laughs> you that. You don't want to do that. But having Fitbot, this app on your phone, it's like having a personal trainer right there with you. It's whatever exercises you want to do, it walks you through. It's got video tutorials. It Whatever sort of goals you're reaching, it walks you through everything. It's very user-friendly, and it's just invaluable in, in these times. And, and I, I love it, and I think everyone will. So let me get to some of the copy here. Fitbot creates a program based on your unique body experience and environment. Their algorithm uses data and analytics to help you build on your last workout to maximize your results. Whether you're exercising three days a week or twice a day, every workout, each and every workout, scientifically proven to be better than the last. FitBot workouts are balanced to avoid overworking muscles with varied exercises to keep you sharp. You have no equipment? Don't worry about it. FitBot has body weight routines for those looking to get fit at home or on the go. It's super easy to use. It has... HD video tutorials to make learning new exercises a breeze. It integrates with other fitness and health apps like Apple Health and Fitbit and Strava or Strava, however that is pronounced. Personalized training can be tough on your budget. Fitbot's only $9.99 a month or $59.99 a year. And if you sign up now, you'll get 25% off your membership. Pick up the pace on your fitness journey with Fitbot today and your future self will thank you. Get 25% off your membership at fitbod.me slash Tony. That's 25% off at fitbod.me slash Tony. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is our friend Brett Wiskens. This is a song called Vertical City. It's available anywhere you stream or download your music. And he writes, this may be the first time one of the songs you feature on your stinking podcast was ever inspired by something you said. <laughs> well, aside from all the jingles and Dan Burns songs, let me explain. During the early stages of the pandemic last year, you mentioned how New York was a vertical city. And for some reason, that really struck a chord with me. I'd never actually heard the phrase before. And I went to liberal arts college in the heart of Indianapolis. So I'm not a dope. Not really. Anyway, all of that said, here's my song called Vertical City that I co-wrote with my producer, Tom Doherty. Isn't that nice from Brett Wiskins? If Brett Wiskins or anybody else, Michael, wants to send us their original music, which can be heard in its entirety at the end of the show, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And Brett plays in Doris Burke, who I've had the pleasure of watching on television and meeting and talking to a couple of times. And the first question that I wrote down was the biggest surprise of the playoffs so far. And then I realized, how stupid is that? They played maybe one or two games. It's probably, it's probably no surprises unless you, uh, you know, do you think there's been a surprise so far? I think the fact that Dallas is up to zero on the LA Clippers is surprising to me. And what fascinated me about game two was after not really putting Kawhi or Paul George consistently on Luka Tony. They yeah. did so in game two, and yet he got 17 points against, you know, two elite defenders. So I guess if I'm surprised at anything, I certainly thought at least the Clippers would split the two home games. 
So the Clippers are a study, a case study in disappointment. They've never done anything in the playoffs ever in the history of the franchise. Um, they they are owned by a guy who you know jumps around a lot and tries to make good moves and brings in big name players. And you good, th- but the I think if they lose, they get their just desserts for tanking clearly tanking you know tony I, I always go back when i see a team uh uh do what the clippers did down the stretch of the regular season go to what jeff Gundy has always said over the years like you're going to play everybody at some point anyway and so to to i don't want to say mess with the game but to to look like you're ducking somebody what message does that send to your team so you know i i heard ty Lu's answer uh, I thought it was an interesting one, but, uh, I, you know, Rick Carlisle, that guy is one of my favorite coaches because I think he portrays this sort of cantankerous guy. And yet behind the scenes with us, he's always great. Uh, but I just, I couldn't be more impressed with Luka Doncic. I don't know about you, Tony. Um, there were times this year where his three point shooting is always sort of like the one thing I question, and yet when the playoffs come, he hits big shot after big shot. He's one of my favorite players to watch. So this is this is this series is just fascinating to me. It's, I'll go off script here on Luka Doncic um, because, as a parent, you know the notion that somebody at fourteen or fifteen would become a professional athlete and tour around Europe and not go to school and all of that. You know, I wonder about the wisdom of that. By the same token, um, he is completely fit and equipped in all levels to be a professional basketball player. And you sort of have to think that 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 gave him a running head start, you know, beyond anybody else who's ever come out of Europe. I mean, he looks like the greatest player ever out of Europe by a wide margin, does he not? Oh, well, can I just go back to your original point, yeah. right? I am the mother of two children, and the idea that my son at 14, who I sort of, uh, he is hysterical and fun and will never have a heart attack, my son, but I almost dragged him through high school because, you know, there was just boys mature slower, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea that a 14-year-old you know, kid would do exactly what you said, be playing with grown men uh, and flourishing in that environment. And I'm going to say this to you. I once saw his mother do an interview about this very topic, and mm. she sort of in a heartfelt way said, but my son came to me and said, this is what he wanted. And of course, she was in those cities with him. And so I felt better about the circumstance because here was this young man who was so passionate about what he was doing and what parent mother or father who, when your child finds their passion, doesn't do everything in our power to encourage that. And so uh, I, I couldn't agree with your sentiment more. And yes, he is completely equipped both physically and mentally. And Kevin Durant said something uh, in an interview about Luke. He said, you know, he pretends to have no athleticism. And the next thing you know, he's got his shoulders past you and you're in trouble. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, listen, Dallas is going to be a much more dangerous team if Tim Hardaway is doing what he did through the first two games. You're not going to beat quality teams with one guy. Hardaway was great in games one and two. Chris Stapp's great in game two. So we'll see if they can sustain that. I'll go back to the parent thing. Uh, let me just go back to that for a second because we have, we have seen in our lives, we have seen gymnasts, um, female gymnasts, start yes. really early and tour the world really early. Mm-hmm. And most of them, it seems to me, do okay. 
uh, they do okay down the road. But we have seen tennis players not do okay down the road. The one who, who turned his life around was Andre Agassi. He was, you know, a pro at 14 and annoying. And then in his 30s and 40s, turns into what I think is a model citizen and his intellect catches up with his physicality. But we have seen young women especially ruined, especially ruined uh, through that through that tennis experience. So, so I know you feel the same way as a parent. You always, there's that part of you that says, boy, I hope this works out. I hope that this child hasn't given up too much to realize, you know, a dream, the, the single focus that children have differently than adults. Right? I mean, we're, we're together on this one, aren't we? We are. And it's interesting that you and I have had conversations as it relates to professional athletes, because I remember being on PTI with you and the Mark Kel Fultz yeah. situation was unfolding in Philadelphia. And I think as long as at the heart of what, what the parent is doing is the health and well-being of the child, then it makes sense. Or if that child has to come through very difficult circumstances where maybe they're not getting great support and guidance from their parents, is there something innate in that child, um, some, some sense of strength or the challenges that that person faced early does it maybe refine that person and the strength of character of the individual sort of comes to bear? It's only, it's a fascinating conversation. You know, yeah. you can talk to college basketball coaches about how significant a parent's role is and in, in what eventually comes to campus and then tries to contribute to a basketball team, which obviously that's, those are the athletes I spend the most time with. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, it's fascinating. It is. I'll get off this so that people are saying, what, what are you, on the couch with Dr. Freud? Let's move on. So we'll move on. Um, I'm going to ask you if you like the play-in, but I'm going to twist it a little bit because okay. you have been a basketball coach in your life. Would you like the play-in if you finish seventh or eighth? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously um, that that is the people you heard from the most. When, when it looked like Dallas was in the play-in, Luka Doncic sounded off. Same with LeBron James. Mm -hmm. You know what? I, I think clearly the play-in had the desired effect. And as a basketball fan, and you know this is the way I come at my job, right? I've, I have played and coached the game, but I've never done that at the NBA level, obviously. Um, the, the most important constituents are your fans, right? They're driving ratings, um, they are the ones bringing the passion and buying league pass and doing all the things that help your league grow. And on the final day of the NBA season, Tony, only I believe two things were decided, the San Antonio Spurs position and one other team, the Boston Celtics. So much was in play. It has basically helped with the tanking situation. There was a level yeah. of excitement and enthusiasm. I just think it's you have to constantly be evaluating yourself as a professional sports league. And I think it's one of the things the NBA does best. Who knows if this is the final iteration, but I think it's good for the game. Yes. Oh, I think it's great. I think when baseball went to the wild card playoffs, it's good for the game. You ask yourself, what is, this is a television show. What is the highest rated television show? It's football. Why is it football? Because it's single elimination all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's, this, exactly is the, right. this is the stuff that makes it interesting. In fact, I'll, I'll stay with television for a second because Wilbon makes the case with me all the time that the league needs to move away from LeBron and Steph Curry and embrace newer, younger stars. And I say to Wilbon, if I'm Adam Silver and I've lost Curry already, 
I, I can't lose LeBron. I just can't lose LeBron. And he says, yes, you can. Don't be afraid. Yes, you can. What do you think? Well, I think you might take some lumps if you lose LeBron, but I think for the long-term health and viability of the sport, it's probably time, right? LeBron is approaching the 19th green, appropriately so, or at least we think he is. I know he's testing mm -hmm. the limits. He and Tom Brady redefining what is the end of a career in terms of years. Um, but the fact of the matter is he's going to leave at some point. Uh, and so you have to start building your league and getting other players to be the driving force of the league. And I think, you know, you've obviously got some excellent options. Doncic, you know, comes to mind. What I'm fascinated. Do you think, Tony, uh, that Doncic can, can captivate the fans' imagination um, because he's not an American-born and we've not been exposed to him the way we have to Zion Williamson? Do you think he could capture the imagination and be a ratings driver? Because to this point, we haven't seen that. Um, I, I actually, at the moment, I would say no, but it, it, when people win championships, it's different and they are looked at in a different way. I think that the reason I make the case that I make about Curry and, and about LeBron is that over a 10 or 12 year period now, they're in the finals all the time, Durant mm -hmm. sort of the same way. That familiarity and the respect that you get when you win multiple rings is, I think, what brings people to the television set. You know, so I, I think there has to be a certain amount of success. And it's it's interesting to me because I do say this other thing to Wilbon, that the level of excellence in basketball, it seems to me, has grown far greater than in football or in baseball, which are other sports that I understand. Th these guys, you know, you, you can hit them in the head and they can be twisting around and they still make the shot. The, yeah. the Just the level, the superior level of athleticism is sort of scary and as as people wonder about tinkering with baseball say moving the mound back to stop pitchers from being so dominant do you ever think of something that basketball may need to consider to sort of blunt the fact that they're so good that it's almost boring their excellence well i this is this is a great conversation because the fact of the matter is, and people are talking about, well, is this really basketball? They've given the offense such an advantage. You can't yeah. touch anybody up. These guys are more skilled than they've ever been. Whew. There is no question about that. Here's the difference in the NBA now, most significant from 10 years ago. The single hardest shot in basketball, in my, in my estimation, you know, or should be the hardest shot, is the off-the-dribble three-point shot. Well, guys are now making off the dribble, not only <laughs> off the dribble threes, they're making sidestep and step back threes. That, you know, that's impossible to, to guard. To close space and get a, a challenge on, you know, James Harden if he's making that move or Luca if he's making it's impossible. Now, Steve Kerr has talked about the fact that, yes, they are more skilled than ever. And he played it with Michael Jordan, and he's saying that across the board more skilled. Now, there's some fundamentals lacking, right? The understanding that you can't let somebody get behind you in a tr transition opportunity. Um, you know, the simple fundamental of, you know, short step, choppy closeout to, to contest a three under control without fouling. Those things are missing. Here's what I wonder. Do we need to pull back a little bit on the, you know, the advantage we've given the offense? If I cannot put my hand on Stephen Curry 
uh, as he's running relentlessly around screens, gives up the ball, and he becomes more dangerous. You know, if there can't be some level of physicality given to the defense, now what that balance is, Tony, I don't know the answer. And do we allow the officials some level of nuance like we used to in judgment? Those officials are graded on every single play. So that nuance that used to be there for the officials, I think, is, is now gone um, because it just they're, they're just evaluated so critically. I don't know the answer. I do think we could we could allow a level of physicality defensively that's not allowed right now. Yeah, you got to have more balance in the game. I mean, I watch games and I, I, I actually hear myself say in my own head, they don't miss anything. <laughs> they don't yeah. miss anything. Yeah. They're right. that good. I'll get you out of yeah. here in this. I want to tell you this story. Uh, you were on with Breen months back. It was, uh, let me look at my phone. It was Friday, January 22nd when I did this. And I texted him while he was on the air. And I wrote to him, it is one of the great warped pleasures of my life in my old age to text people when they are on TV. I do it to Chuck Todd, to Steve Sands, to Carl Bernstein, to Ron Darling, to Michelle Tafoya, and now you. It's an eclectic list. And then I wrote, I can't stand Joel Embiid. Say hi to Doris for me. Tony. And he writes back within 30 seconds. Do you not like Embiid, the person or the player? And then he says, Doris says, and I quote, go to hell. This was so funny. This was so funny. And I thought, oh, what if it's true? What if it's true? What if Doris doesn't like me? Never. Isn't that funny? I I think that is hysterical. And it is so Mike Breen. And you know, I would never say that you and I have crossed paths periodically. And it's been a it's been a great pleasure for me. I've, I've, I've told you, I think you're and Mike's show is the best 30 minutes on ESPN's air, and uh, I think you're brilliant. Never. I would never say go to hell. I might, I'll might. i tell Breen go to hell before I tell you go to hell. So funny, though. It scared me for months. Doris, thank you so much. I'll tell people of the technical difficulties that we had today. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Sounds good. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Doris Burke, boys and girls. Um, we will, well, okay. Michael has a read. Go ahead. There's no music. Oh no no no! Yes, I have to do that. So because we're we're uh, well, ultimately we're later. out of order. We're out. We're you're you know, out of order. Yes, you're out of order. I'm, the, the whole court is out of out order. order. <laughs> yeah. So we will come back and we will do email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Sunday reading. They want me to riff on common problems that you might have with your lawn the same way I do. This is the time of year where my grass has been growing, but we've sure. had our first first few heat waves, and you're starting to get some of those pesky brown spots. And and this is just from the sun angle and the heat. And I've not I've not added my heat defender smoothie bag that I will get later this month, I am assuming. Uh, with Sunday, you can see your lawn thrive with your own custom lawn care plan from Sunday. Sunday is more than just a lawn care product. It's a custom lawn care plan with a variety of ways to help you grow a beautiful lawn, control weeds, and remove pests. Remember the remove pests? Remove I, pests. Remove pests, because I have a phone call I'd like to update you about okay. just after this. They take out all the guesswork and all the unwanted chemicals so you can grow a beautiful lawn that's better for people, pets, and the planet. This is my personal endorsement. So I'm on the, the onboarding call with the Sunday team about their new pest control products. So I just want to give you a tease as to some of the great names for the products that could be coming your way. Do you have bugs in your yard? 
you might be looking for bug doom, a big <laughs> jug of that bug doom. Say goodbye to your bugs as you fire up that outdoor grill this summer grilling bug season. Bug doom. Bug doom. And actually, they do the same analysis. Isn't that a golf course in Ireland? Bug doom? Oh, or dune bag? That's a different pronunciation than bug doom. <laughs> yeah. A big jug of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you just plug in your lawn and they do a soil analysis as to some of the pesky little problems that you might have running around. Again, not Bootsy and the Hammer. And if, you've, uh, if this is your first time getting serious about lawn care and the pesky uh, products, you can... Uh, well. I sort of messed that up. I'm sorry. It's all right. I was getting it's so excited. It's I was getting so excited Don't about worry. the bug doom. Yeah, Sunday bug makes doom. taking care of your lawn easier than ever. Just go to Sunday.com, put in your home address, and then their free lawn analysis tool will take care of the rest all in just seconds. Going back to bug doom, I can't wait to tell you what the mosquito control is called. Oh. Well, we'll get to That's that. for the next one. Okay. This, is a, this is an all-June flight. Sunday uses soil and climate data to create a tailored nutrient plan so you get all the stuff your lawn needs, nothing it doesn't. It's made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce, like seaweed, Iron molasses. Sounds like a great breakfast. So you can grow better and feel better about it. They explain exactly what you get and why. And with Sunday, everything is waiting at your door when you need it. All you have to do is attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray. Lawn care used to take up my whole day. Now it takes less than 15 minutes. Best of all, this stuff really works. Let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com slash Tony to get $20 off your custom lawn planet checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Tony. Bug doom. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. One, two, three, four. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your email, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of you. That's Greg Rosendahl and Lindsay Merrill. We thank them very much playing us back. Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Thank you, Tony. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That's about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, just let me say, so we finished the 18th and he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort? And he says, oh, there won't be any money. But at your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice. That's Bill Murray, of course. It's just brilliant. Thanks to our guests today, Steve Sands, Doris Burke. Thanks to our sponsors today, Sunday, FitBod, New Hera. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through iTunes. Please leave us a review. From Bill Borda in Charlotte, North Carolina, Good Counsel High School class in Washington, D.C. of 1987. Had my first David Aldridge moment this past Sunday while attending my son Hank's graduation. Hank, from Notre Dame. When they announced the commencement speaker, I turned to my wife and I said, I know him. The speaker was none other than the great Jimmy Dunn. For years, I always wondered why you had bestowed such a lofty title upon him. Well, after listening to him from the edge of my seat for 25 minutes, I soon understood. The crowd of over 10,000 at Notre Dame Stadium laughed and cried along with Jimmy as he regaled us with stories from his life. No moment was more poignant than when Jimmy talked about the responsibility he felt when 68 of his Sandra O'Neill employees lost their lives on September 11th. Jimmy pledged to provide the full tuition at any university or college for all of the children of parents who lost their lives that day. This included a young man who was graduating on this day. There wasn't a dry eye in the house, and Michael and I can attest to this. I don't know if Jimmy is a hoff or a waff, but he is now a doctor, as he received an honorary degree, Doctor of Laws degree, and yes, he is still great. 
When I found out that the great Jimmy Dunn was speaking at Notre Dame, I emailed him and I said, of all the honors I've ever had in my life, none is as meaningful to me as being able to do a graduation speech at Binghamton University and receive an honorary doctorate. And he said he felt exactly the same way. And the difference, of course, is he was the solitary graduation speaker in front of a crowd of 10,000, and I'm sure he knocked it out of the park. Dr. Joe DeRosa in Greenville, South Carolina. Our family is visiting the Charleston area the first week of July this year, and my brother-in-law and I are going to play the ocean course while we are there. I couldn't be totally sure from your discussion with Wilbon, but I thought he might like to join us. I'll pencil him in for our foursome. Um, from Matthew Berg, research biologist of endangered resource services in St. St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin. I'm unfamiliar with that. As a professional bird biologist and loyal little, Monday's podcast was of particular interest. I knew we shared a love of dogs and a disdain for poetry, but I didn't realize you even noticed birds. I then listened helplessly while you wondered, are there more species of birds than any other kind of animal? There are, in fact, over 10,000 bird species currently inhabiting the planet. Although an impressive total, there are over a million described insect species, and many scientists think there may be as many as 5 million, making them the most numerous class of animals out there. Fortunately, only 3,000 of those species are cicadas. In the future, I'd be honored to be named the official ornithologist of the Tony Kornheiser Show so I can help with any and all the future pressing bird questions that you and your friends might have. Thanks for all the times your pod has kept me awake and entertained on the way to a late-night owl or early-morning songbird survey. Matt in Northwest Wisconsin. P.S. Despite hurtful stereotypes, real biologists don't drive Subarus. Everyone in the upper Midwest knows they'd get drifted over in the winter. From Jonathan Scriven. Yes, that Jonathan Scriven. I'm catching up on the podcast. I recently heard your tribute to Tom Boswell. I wanted to add a quick tidbit from my days in college at a school in Michigan. As a senior, I took a class called Baseball Literature. Seriously. The professors assigned books by authors you'd expect. W.P. Kinsella, David Halberstam, Roger Kahn, Lawrence Ritter, Bernard Malamud, etc. But only one author had two books assigned. Boz, one of them, The Heart of the Order, was just a collection of his writings from the Post. Because I was from the D.C. area and I'd be reading Boz for years, I was thrilled by this. I remember telling a classmate, hey, I know that guy. I guess it was my David Aldridge moment before such a thing existed. Your tribute to friends and colleagues were always beautiful, but this one really hit home for me. Thank you for doing it. And he's living in Washington, D.C. and not in France anymore. Yeah. From Mark Finer in Greenwich, Connecticut. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I have been discussing a car for our daughter. I managed to delay the inevitable until last night when she mentioned the Subaru articulated crossback hatchtech or some such thing. And I quickly said, <laughs> we can't get a Subaru. To which she replied, why not? I paused. I looked at my feet. I sheepishly muttered, because Mr. Tony says so. Her response is not airable on a family show. In other news, since the seal was broken last week on a David Aldrich moment involving Chan, allow me to say that a decade ago, I served on an independent school accreditation committee with Moni. She was not only the smartest and most efficient member of our team, but also the funniest. Get her on a news segment. you think Moni would want to be on the show? Oh, I'm not sure. You know, what do you think? Uh, from Bobby Godfrey. As I'm sure you followed very closely, the English Premier League season came to a close on Sunday, and with it, another edition of the Littles Fantasy League, La Ligerie. I'd like to congratulate this season's champion, Patrick Moffat. Patrick absolutely destroyed his competition, not only winning our league, but finishing 
15,847 out of 8.2 million worldwide fantasy players. With this win, a new name has been engraved onto the Chatter Memorial Tree Frog Trophy. And like the Stanley Cup, the trophy will belong to Patrick until a new winner is crowned next year. Congratulations, Mr. Moffat. Absolutely. John Sielke in Silver Spring, Maryland. Thanks to the pandemic, your show has become background noise while I am completing my work. Candidly, every promo code offer usually goes in one ear and out the other. Yet the other day on Amazon, I saw a solo stove on on sale. I hesitated to buy, but then hearing the read about the Memorial Day sale and an extra $10 off promo code, I thought, why not? So thanks to you, I'll soon be enjoying a new backyard fire experience. If only there was a Subaru code. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Come on, man. What are we doing out there, man? Your palm trees, your caffeine And waking up alone Your long days, your bad behavior Stuck in the fire of each new sun I look for part of you and everyone
Sounding the bell can be such a pity Trying to make it in a vertical city Pull the plug and cut her on now, Willie The depths of despair have become so silly This vertical city.